The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. working our way through what's known as the farewell discourse. It's actually the last time Jesus has a conversation, you might say, with his disciples in, in John's Gospel before he goes to the cross. Next week we, we begin Jesus' prayer on behalf of the disciples. We're looking forward to that. But today we've got John chapter 16, starting at verse 15. I'm just going to read from verse 24, but we'll cover right away through verse 33 this morning. This is the word of the Lord for us. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will see you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little time? We do not know what he was talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I mean by saying, A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is given birth, she has sorrow because her error has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ah, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Today is 29 days until my youngest daughter's birthday. Now, I didn't need to check that with my wife, if you were asking. She put it on the calendar. So I don't need to ask her directly. I just thought it would be the man. And if you're, if you're being a parent of a, a young child, you know that the anticipation of the birthday is huge. Often my daughter will ask me, how long until my birthday? Ever since Jesse's birthday. Even next, and she says, how long until my birthday? Is it my birthday then? 
And I, I might give you a call, like, oh, not long now, so there's no use telling how many days, you can't really do it, you know, it's like that, and it's not that. Not long, darling. Not long, too. Although, it might not seem like long for her birthday, for a five-year-old, not long is for forever. It cannot come to the and the anticipation of the birthday is part of the birthday fun, isn't it? The build-up maybe start getting asked questions. What cake would you like? What would you like to do? And these days it seems like presents, the choice of presents might even get thrown into the mix. What do you want for your birthday? All this adds, builds the anticipation of the day, but though they help no matter how good the anticipation is, nothing compares or comes close to the birthday itself, does it? Up early. I don't know what your routine is, but for us it's like, oh, everyone jump on mum and dad's bed, where are the presents, let's get, let's get this done. The birthday has started. See, when the birthday comes, what was anticipated becomes reality. And what might have been excruciating for a five-year-old in the days leading up to, this now turns to joy. Now, as we go through the passage this morning, a key theme, especially at the start, is that turning to joy. Turning of sorrow to joy. And as we work through, I want you to have two questions in the back of your mind. The first question is, who has the joy? The second question is, what is the outlook? Who has the joy? What is the outlook? Our passage starts with what must seem like a riddle for the disciples. Jesus is, is talking to them about a little while and not long and all these sorts of things. And these guys seem a bit confused, don't they? In verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. What does all this mean? How do we unravel the riddle we have here? Well, basically, a little while is a short amount of time. You will see me no longer when Jesus is going to be killed, he's going to die. Again, a little while, another short amount of time, three days in this case. And you will see me. This is when Jesus will appear to his disciples after he's been resurrected. This is basically the meaning of this little riddle that the disciples have before them. But Jesus goes on to say, he talks about the impact that this will have on the disciples. You might remember in previous weeks that Jesus has been talking about the impact of what he's believing is going to have on them. It means the Holy Spirit is going to come, their helper. It means they're going to face hatred from the world. Here in verse 20, Jesus says, Surely, surely, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. 
you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. We've already seen in verse 6 of chapter 16 that when Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to depart, that they are filled with sorrow. In verse 21, Jesus then goes, and so in there, they're going to have a future sorrow as well. Jesus then goes to a place where no smart married man would dare speak. He starts talking about what it's like for a lady to be spared. Now, guys, I don't know what your experience may have been about birth sleep or anything like that. If you're smart, you don't go bringing this subject up. It's okay, Jesus is the Lord of all. He's allowed to talk about childbirth, even though he is not a mother. Labor and childbirth in the Old Testament are used often to talk about anguish and, and suffering that comes before blessing. And it has a similar function here. The joy of a new dad makes the pain of the delivery of that child all worth it. Verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, the joy that a human being has been born into the world. This doesn't deny the, the pain of childbirth. It doesn't deny the anguish. It doesn't say that it just says that it's no longer kept in mind, those feelings, because of the joy that has happened. And this is something that the disciples can look forward to as well. Not to deny what they're going to go through, not to deny their suffering, their anguish. Instead, give them a hope. Give them something to look to, to a sorrow that will turn into joy. Verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And no one will take that joy from you. You notice the catalyst for that turning of their sorrow into joy. What is it that causes their sorrow to be turned into rejoicing? Well, in verse 22, it's Jesus' words, I will see you again. And those words there correspond with chapter 15, verse 16, where Jesus says to his disciples, I chose you. You might notice that that phrase, I will see you, has actually changed the phrase which Jesus has said previously, you will see me. This is now changed to Jesus saying, I will see you. That's because the power of this vision is being able to see Jesus is all Jesus' power. There's nothing the disciples can do to conjure up the Jesus' presence. No, it's all on Jesus. It is his act. His initiation. He will see them. And they will therefore 
So a king of Jesus is on his terms. It's only made possible through his death and resurrection. Seeing the risen Lord Jesus will enable the disciples to receive a joy that is beyond the touch of anyone or anything. Obviously, different to the joy that we experience now, isn't it? State of origin time comes. Your thing goes over the line. The whistle goes. Yes, joy. Two minutes later, the other thing goes over the line. The line. Ah, oh, the joy has been taken away from you. Sorry, I'm a bit of a sports person. What about when your your cricket is nearly very informed? They're about to make the time. You've got joy, they're hitting boundaries, and then the umpire's finger goes up. The joy is taken away from you. Not so with the disciples. When they see the risen Lord Jesus, their sorrow will turn to joy. And that is a joy that cannot be taken away. So he has the joy. But it seems like the disciples will have to do it, doesn't it? Jesus promised that though they are weeping and lamenting now, when they see the risen Lord Jesus, their sorrow will turn into joy. They will see Jesus and they will know God is not dead. Jesus is alive. Seeing Jesus turns the disciples. He changes everything for them. And seeing the risen Lord Jesus can transform us as well. To have an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus turn our sorrow into joy. Who has the joy? Well, it seems like the world has the joy as well, doesn't it? Jesus says, the world will rejoice. And then he doesn't elaborate on that. He doesn't, nothing seems to change. He doesn't say that their joy will turn to sorrow. Then the world will rejoice. And no doubt if you were doing, to do a survey of the world today, you'd get different things. You'd have some people going, oh, no, I'm, I'm very happy. I've got a lot of joy in my life, thank you very much. Lovely family. A fulfilling job. I don't have this financial stress that some might have. In fact, I'm going away on holiday soon. See, the world is not a place that is void of joy, then it is a place where joy can come and go. Yet we're expecting the determined thing that there must be a turning happening at some stage. And that is true. And again, the turning happens when the risen Lord Jesus is revealed. 
And when will the world see the risen Lord Jesus? When he returns to death. Then, if you are not one of his disciples, if you are not a follower of Jesus, when you see him again, your joy will turn to sorrow. As Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 42 and 15, there'll be weeping, gnashing of teeth to those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Who hates the joy? This section finishes with a command to ask to receive. See that in verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Specifically, the disciples are directed to ask in Jesus' name. Sometimes we, we use Jesus' name as sort of a, a phrase to rubber stamp our prayers, don't we? Sounds more like a, just a formula you might recite rather than something deeper. But friends, to ask the Father in Jesus' name is more than just a phrase to rubber stamp your prayers with. It includes who Jesus is, his person. It includes his purpose, what he is on about. And it includes for the disciples their mission, what they were to do, to ask the Father in Jesus' name, includes who Jesus is, to ask in line with his purposes and our mission. His person is Jesus as God with us the revelation of who the Father is. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Pray in Jesus' name to pray according to who Jesus is and who he has revealed the Father to be. It's also to pray in line with his purpose 
and as the atoning sacrifice, he is the way to the Father. Again, from John 1. The next day, he, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. To pray in Jesus' name includes praying in light of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and it's also to pray in line with the mission he left for his disciples. To ask in a trusting reliance on Jesus' sacrifice to enable us to ask the Father anything in the first place. It's to ask in a commitment to seek the things that would bring glory to God, not glory to ourselves. to ask in line with the mission that Jesus has given his disciples. And in the context of John chapter, chapter 13 to 17, the mission is to serve as Jesus serves. Truly, truly, I say to you, says Jesus, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you, Their mission is also to love as Jesus loves. A new commandment I give you, he says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, but someone lay down his life for his friends. See, to pray in Jesus' name is for the disciples to pray in light of the mission they have to serve as Jesus serves, to love as Jesus loves, and to bear witness about Jesus and to remain faithful to him. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Verse 27. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. This is what it means to pray, to ask the Father in Jesus' name. I suspect that understanding this would make it difficult to say the least 
to see the phrase in Jesus' name as something to use to rubbish them a prayer. See, for us to ask the Father something in Jesus' name is to ask entrusting reliance on Jesus' sacrifice as the basis for our relationship with God the Father. It's for us to ask with commitment to seek the things that would bring God glory in line with the mission He has given us. The right understanding of Jesus' person, His purpose, and our mission should make it impossible to ask the Father something that would seek to bring us glory. To ask for the things that would be all about our personal work. Our personal purpose. Our personal purpose. To ask Father something in Jesus' name. Friends, is about Him, not us. This should calibrate our prayers, shouldn't it? To bring our prayers and desires in line with what Jesus was on about. In line with His mission for us in this world. And as we move now to verses 25 to 33, we notice a phrase that is coming out and picked up from what has already been spoken about. Notice the phrase that an hour when the disciples' relationship with Jesus and the Father will seem to be something straightforward. It'll be plain. It won't be something of riddle. No need for parables anymore. No need for Jesus to beat around the bush with his disciples. I suspect that after three years of following Jesus around and hearing him teach through parables and another sort of images, the disciples would have been keen for the day where they can just understand him plainly. You can sort of emphasize with them, hey, when Jesus says, I will speak plainly, his disciples would have been going, I'm looking forward to that day. Please let it be true. You can see they're like that little child, aren't they? They're longing for that hour. They're anticipating. They're longing for it. <laughs> we want this to happen. Their, their ears are up in anticipation. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those conversations with someone where you find yourself on a tangent. And while they're talking, your, your ears are up, your brain's going trying to figure out how you got here. Maybe it's a conversation you've had with me. 
And everywhere you get here, and your ears are up, you're looking for, for a word, a phrase that will sort of make that connection for you. Like, ah, at least now I know how he got here. Well, this is what the disciples are doing. And in verse 29, they think they've found it. They have an ah moment. Oh, now we go. Now we know what you're saying, Jesus. You know what you what we are thinking without us even saying or asking you. You know stuff only God can know, Jesus. And that's why we believe in you. People got to understand. But Jesus answered to them. Again, these are the last words he's going to say to them before they see him again. Except for when he tells Peter to put his sword away after cutting off the ear. Or telling John, while he's hanging on the cross, telling John to take care of his name. These are the last words Jesus is going to say in conversation to his disciples. These are precious words for them, though they don't know it. These are precious words for us as well, The disciples say, aha. This is a word translated. The word translated is a word for see. We see. Or a word, behold. So Jesus tells their, ah, their behold word with a behold of his own. We said that in verse 32. This also means, look, see, and where they're saying, Jesus, we see, Jesus is no. See this. Look at this, what I'm about to tell you. And in these last few verses, Jesus gives his disciples two commands. The first command is to behold, to see. He tells them, look. The second command he gives is to take heart in verse 36. Have your eyes open, he says, and be in heart. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. An encouraging command, isn't it? Keep your eyes open. You don't actually get it yet. In fact, you're going to head off, and it's going to look like I'm alone. But in case I am not alone, with a second encouraging command, Jesus says, Take heart. Strengthen your heart. Take courage. And the reason why he tells them to do this is because he is victorious. Look at verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world.
find it interesting that that phrase, I have overcome the world. We're really keen to take that to ourselves, don't we? And go, you know, what's true of Jesus is true of us. So we have overcome the world. We need to be careful to do that, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have not overcome the world. It's not within us to rise above, to be victorious. Jesus is the one who has overcome the world. He is the one who is victorious. And if we want to have some victory, it is only in Him that that is possible. You cannot get to a plane where you sit up there and the world is down here. Now you are in the world, so you are in Christ. You are in the world, so you will have tribulation. You will have anxiety, friends. We will have trouble. To take heart, Jesus hasn't just left us alone here in the world as he was not alone but with the Father, so we are not alone. And our status is now in Christ. So we are in this place of tribulation, but in this place we have peace. And we have the promise of a sorrow that will turn into joy if we know and love. Jesus as our Saviour and Lord. There's nothing in us that means we can overcome the world. Stop trying to be better. Stop trying to be perfect. Stop trying to be sinless. Focus on Jesus. He is the one who overcomes the world. Jesus encourages his disciples in the strongest of ways to see things from his point of view. And what does Jesus see? Well, he sees the disciples for for what they are. Confused. Sorrowful. Distressed. And loved by the Father. Jesus sees the world for what it is. Place of tribulation. Of distress. Hardship. Joy for one minute, joy for the next. For everyone who is here. And Jesus sees his death, his departure from the world for what it is first. And it is his victory over the world. Over all that is opposed to God. He calls his disciples to see things as he sees them. Do we see things as Jesus sees them? 
Do we see this world as a place of joy or tribulation? Do we see our overcoming of this world as something that we can do or something that Christ alone does? Do you have joy? Or if so, let me ask, what kind of joy is it? Is it a fullness of joy, a joy that is sorrow turned into joy because you have seen the risen Lord Jesus? An unsnatchable joy, an unlosable joy, is that your joy, friend? Is it a joy of fullness or is it a joy of fragility? Joy you've got to be careful with. Like something that's got a fragile stick on. You've got to hold it the right way up. And if you can, it'll be broken. Taken away. Do you have joy? Let me ask the second question. What is the outlook for you? Are you yet to see the reason you're Jesus? Are you yet to have that personal encounter with Him? Maybe something is keeping you away. Maybe religion is getting in the way. Maybe what people have done to you is getting in the way. Maybe your own selfishness is getting in the way. I suspect that when it comes to seeing the risen Lord Jesus, in a way you're hoping you never do. You're happy for things to stay as they are. Because when the risen Lord Jesus is seen by the world, those who don't know him will have their joy and to sorrow. Or maybe you're, a follow, you're following the overcomer. You have had that personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are living in this world, this place of tribulation. Yet you are living with peace in Jesus. Friends, be encouraged this morning. That is you. This world is not going to be an easy place. Take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. Let me pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have sent your Son, to show us exactly who you are. Not only has Jesus revealed the God of the universe to us, but he has also made a way for us to have relationship with that God of love. 
yet you, you have made the way, you have shown us who you are, yet you have left us here. Father, we thank you that you have left us here, not on our own. That you have given us your Spirit. That we are found in Christ Jesus. And so what now we can have communion with you, and as you transform our hearts, Lord, we can be part of what you're on about in this world. You haven't left us without a past. You haven't left us alone. You have given us a past to do and your spirit to enable that. So, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would enable us to see things as you truly see them. And that you would encourage us, make us solid, to be willing to do the things you have given us to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name, for his glory alone. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.